Whether you admit to it or not, I bet you've seen at least one episode of Made in Chelsea. Well, this week's guest works for a production company called Monkey Kingdom, and they produce Made in Chelsea, and her title is Executive Producer of Made in Chelsea. And over the years, she's worked on Gogglebox, she's worked on The Only Way is Essex, and we get to know Nazleen Karim. Naz is not a marketing person. She doesn't speak in gobbledygook or marketing jargon, but what she does do is a really good job of bringing to life the making of a TV show for young people. So have a listen to Nazleen Karim, executive producer of Made in Chelsea, because this is her rocket fuel. So, Nazleen, first thing to say is, thanks so much for doing this. I really appreciate you coming on Rocket Fuel. Oh, no problem at all. Happy to help. So, let's start with a few questions about you. Let's get to know you. Uh What's what's been your journey and how have you ended up where you've ended up? Um, Well, I went to Durham University and I read English literature and... I suppose when I left, it was quite sort of a broad subject that I didn't really know what to specialise in. Initially, I thought I want to do broadcast journalism. So I set about doing a postgrad course in that. But whilst I was waiting to get onto that course, um, I was offered the opportunity to work at the BBC in a department called Programme Services. And they kind of are in charge of sorting out people's logins, um, providing stationery. Glamorous stuff. Exactly. Mm. But it was at BBC Television Centre, which did feel very glamorous because you were rushing up and down the stairs and you'd see someone huge, you know, like David Jason, like getting into a lift or something like that. And it felt like a very magical time, despite, you know, just working in something that was like providing stationery for people. It still felt every every day I went into work, I thought, oh, this is really this is really fun. And. We're going to come on to talk about your work as it is now, Mm -hmm. but the romance of television, how much had it sat with you? Have you always had, have you always dreamt of it? Had it always been part of your life? I think so. I think, well, my dad had a a video shop when we were growing up, so very much the the big screen, the small screen was something I was very passionate about. And I love how certain movies looked, how they were directed, how they make you feel. So I always wanted to kind of be either creating a story or sort of shooting it somehow. Okay. Now, what little I know about TV creation, it's a collaborative effort. What qualities do you look for in the people that you're working with? Is there a commonality? Do you look for specific skill sets? What makes the perfect team? I think you kind of like... In life, as with friends, you choose your tribe. So it's people that are like-minded, kind, you know that they would look after your team. Um, and also they have a work ethic that, so they don't just go into work to do a good job, they go into work to do an excellent job. Okay. Um, and they think about if they go out on a shoot, how can I not just make this scene or this shoot good, how can I really make it the best it can be? Okay. And... In terms of you as an individual, how do you like to be managed and how do you manage other people? Is there, is there an art to it? Um, 
suppose I've never really been asked that question. <laughs> I think in terms of me managing people, yeah. I very much like to give compliments and to remind the team they're doing a really good job because I think when you're working on a, a big show or even a little one where everyone is just scrabbling and doing their darndest to kind of pull this feat off, it's just really important to remember to say thank you and you're doing a good job. So I like that. I like sort of maybe even out of the blue, just texting someone, sending an email and just reminding them, you know, they're doing well. And I guess I like that as well. You know, you just need to, sometimes you just need when, you know, when the chips are down, you just need a little chivvy up. What do you think you're known for in in the workplace? And what do you think, what qualities are you known for? Um... So weirdly, I went for an interview a couple of years ago, and it was with, with a very forward-thinking HR lady. And she said, "Naz, like, what is your personal brand?" And I was like, "I have no idea what you mean. Like, what? What does?" She goes, "Well, you know, now we have to think of ourselves as brands. So, like, what are the the two things that you would say define you?" And then I had to crystallise what that could be. So for me, is I love storytelling, and I also love visuals, and I I'm like a, a very keen street photographer so she goes right that's it your your brand is style and story so I was I kind of giggled I giggled <laughs> to myself but then I thought actually yeah you're kind of right okay nice yeah. good answer in terms of the sort of tv that you've always wanted to make has your journey been quite varied have you done some documentaries we'll, we'll come on to where you are now and has it always been a focus to create the sort of tv that you're creating now um, so I've very much stayed in the entertainment sector. Um, documentary would be like a, a different shift, but I've done various things within entertainment. So factual entertainment, I've done stuff like Gogglebox. Okay. And then I've done the shiny floor shows like Strictly Come Dancing. And then sort of like the more um, fly-in-the-wall documentary style, which would be like Britain's Next Top Model and, and things like that. So... There is still variety within the entertainment sector, but I mean, I'd love to do a documentary or a short film or, you know, that would be, that's a little passion project I think I would keep for me. Okay. Yeah. And in terms of other opportunities, we're we're constantly told that we're in the age of the side hustle. We're constantly told that we should have our eye on every opportunity. Is that the same for you? Is that the same of people more broadly that work in TV? Have you always got to have your eye on the next opportunity? With television, a lot of the work is freelance, so you are always thinking of your next gig, um, and that can kind of spiral you into, right, I'll just accept this next contract because it's coming up. And sometimes you need to step back and think, no, what am I passionate about? What's going to give me joy? And and sometimes you have to take a risk and, and say, well, I might be out of work for a month or two or maybe more, but I know there's this other project in the pipeline. I'd rather wait for that. Um, and then sometimes... Maybe you're on a contract and it doesn't necessarily give you joy. So I think it is important to have the side hustle, the passion projects. So for me, like I said, was photography, but um, it's not necessarily something that I think I would earn money from, you know, if I need to day to day. And you've you've worked on some of the biggest mainstream entertainment TV shows for young audiences ever in the UK, right? Oh, me. <laughs> I, th- I, th- I think that's probably fair. We're talking Made in Chelsea, we're talking The Only Way is Essex, we're talking Gogglebox. Is there is there anything that you're most proud of? Is there any particular episode that you're most proud of? Is that, what, what has really, if I were to sit down with you and ask you what one piece of work has made you most happy, wh- which one would it be? Um, well, of the ones that you mentioned, I think when we 
when we allow the cast to kind of talk about what's really important for them. So whether we had Tommy on The Only Ways Essex open up about his depression and that really spoke to so many people. He was, you know, inundated with people saying, actually, you coming out and being so brave about your admission made me think twice about, you know, you know, not taking my life tonight. And, you know, all of this kind of... So you realise, my God, it has such far-reaching um, ability to touch someone. And more recently on Made in Chelsea, we've had Alex Mitten open up about losing his mother last year and how grief and and young people deal with that is is such such a raw and important thing and equally Olivia Bentley opened up about her struggle with alopecia and I think it just helps the the believability factor with the audience and also it really helps helps the cast to feel more relatable so they aren't just these people on tv they are real and they go through the same things that you go through at home so Section two, Naz, of Rocket Fuel is all, all about the work that you've achieved, the work that you're doing right now and the work that you've done in the past. And this is the bit that's ex- excited me most because one of the themes of the series is we want to talk to as many different people as possible that have spoken to youth audiences. So let's start with a fairly dumb question, first of all. How young are the audiences of Made in Chelsea? And are you aware of that when you're creating the programme? Um, I think, well, you kind of focus on an an age bracket between 16 and 35. And obviously, we could be younger or older, but that's sort of the core Mm. that you'd be aiming towards. And we briefly touched on it in the first section. You were talking about the depths of the characters involved. Is there a higher purpose than just getting lots of eyeballs on it? And are the programme makers thinking about the stories that they're telling about the individuals or actually is it purely a commercial bean? I know that particularly Made in Chelsea, but some of the other, they're on commercial channels. So I suppose the question is, is is there a thought about the stories you're telling and, and, and a higher purpose beyond getting eyeballs on the show? I think the most important thing that you, when you produce a show and you want, and you put it out there, you want people to like it and, and relate to it. Um, I remember someone going on telly once and he was quite a very experienced producer and he says the three things that you must always remember uh, when you're trying to get an audience to engage in a story is is that that relation that relationship so you're either saying god that that's me god I hope that's not me and oh I wish that was me so you've got those three things to always factor in and it's got to feel like it's relatable or at least understandable to people and and also if you can i think with young people in particular they're really they're really passionate about issue led things so for example the environment and mental health and and that kind of thing and when we were when we produce an episode we're not sort of trying to jump on the zeitgeist bandwagon and like oh we're ticking the box because we're talking about the environment it's more that how is this important how does this affect their lives and and would people respond to this and it's always about what is real and what's going on in the cast lives at the moment so let's go on to the reality bit next i was going to ask a boring question about the actual mechanics but we'll come Mm -hmm. on to that in a second so the first thing is, and, and this is only for listeners that perhaps have been live, living in a cave for the last 
10, 15 years. But there's a difference between reality and scripted reality or structured reality. Mm-hmm. Can you bring that to life for us? What is the difference? And, and, and I suppose the question is, how real is Made in Chelsea? I think so. Way back in the day, so when TOWIE and Made in Chelsea first came out, they were called scripted reality. Yeah. And now that's all changed and it's actually called non-scripted. Mm. Um, and it's very much, I think, when we work with cast, we're finding out what's happening day to day in their lives. And because it's quite a small community, um, you know, they have all the drama and, 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 and sort of relationships with one another. And it's a genuine thing. And we're just sort of packaging that within a four-part show and making it easily digestible to the audience. So, for example, if there was like a relationship story, but there was loads of superfluous information that you wouldn't need to know as a viewer, we just streamline that story and make it and sort of tell it as best we can within four parts. So then let's go back to the mechanics. So (laughs) you would sit down with a cast member. You would find out what's going on in their lives. Mm -hmm. You would then speak with the rest of the team that are producing the show and think about the most effective way to tell that story. Yes. There'd never be any artificial storylines. You'd never stick two people in a in the same bar that you knew didn't get on. There there wouldn't be that kind of forced clash of cultures, if you like. I think so for example, if there is um tension between two people and and they're going to be brought together at an event outside of filming, then you would then put that, you know... Fair point. Yeah, you'd, on you'd the show. You'd want to capture it. You'd want to capture it. And so essentially what we do is we know what's going on in their lives. We try and tell it across the four parts and we, and we supply the locations. But we don't put words in their mouths and we don't sort of... There's no script to follow. Fine. We just make that story as clear as possible and understandable to the viewer. So I think you're exactly right. The turn of phrase scripted reality was a misnomer and something that was a bit misleading as well, right? Yeah. So, okay, got it. So then let's talk about, because I'm, I'm I'm aware that the cast members, particularly Made in Chelsea, but also some of, also the Anywhere's Essex, they, they have their ups and they have their downs. But is I'm just kind of keen to focus on this reality thing just mm-hmm. for a second. So... With Instagram influencers or Instagram social content creators, there's kind of this hashtag about living their best life, Mm -hmm. right? If anything, from the way that you've just outlined it, actually the programs that you've been involved with are more true, more real than the Instagram stars that this audience is seeing on Instagram. Fair comment or...? Yeah, I think... I think because it's their lives laid bare and it's, you know, sometimes they're going through quite painful breakups or painful admissions of something or regret. And you would never put that on Instagram. Um, And actually, it takes a real bravery for the cast, I think, to open up to people. And I think sometimes people are overly harsh and don't realise what they do um, by by opening their lives bare because it's quite a scary concept. Like, there's things you'd want to shield from not only your mum and dad or your you know your friends but and then the world at large so it it does take a real bravery i think and i suppose you and i don't want to put words in your mm. mouth but you would argue that you can fake it for an for five instagram posts every day but you can't fake it when the camera's on you for this length of time right absolutely yeah you just have to, i mean your your true self always comes out i feel so made in chelsea and i know you've only worked on the show for the last 
nine months last. So yeah, so the the most recent series, and then the um, Buenos Aires miniseries. Okay, and that the, so it's been around since two thousand and eleven. How would you say the show has evolved? How would you say the show is changing? Is it purely the cast members, or are you looking for different things from the show? Um, I think Chelsea is all, has always had this sort of filmic polish to it, which makes it so beautiful to watch. But I think, um, and this will touch upon, you know, youth audiences, what they are really keen on is the believability factor. And so more and more, last series, I wanted us to experiment with um, going handheld a little bit. Okay. And um, the cast really enjoyed that. And I think it helps people to see that, you know, there's still a level of polish and beauty, but if we can sort of take away sort of a, a little bit of sense of artifice, you know, about it looking so stylized, then it might be more relatable to the audience. So, Naz, one of the joys of talking to you is lots of the people that we've had on the other side of the desk in the studio have been marketing people and people talking about products and things mm-hmm. like that. But effectively, what you've just described is one of the key turns of phrase of the moment, and that is even Made in Chelsea is experimenting with more authentic content. So this handheld stuff is literally created by the cast for for the show, right? Oh, well, by the crew for the, the show, crew. yes. Okay, so this handheld thing is a fascinating thing. When you're creating a show like Made in Chelsea and you are, you're part of the creative team that bring that show to life, right? How much are you thinking about the commercials? Where do does the art and the commerce meet? Are you ever thinking about brand extensions? Are you ever thinking about the bigger picture? And and when do you start thinking about those things, if you do? Um, Well, that's very much in conjunction with the channel, I'd say. And it's, um, you know, they've got a commercial team that you that would you know you would liaise with but i'd say in terms of my day to day my focus would be on overseeing the content of the show and it's and and then overseeing any commercial connection but um it wouldn't be the sole aim okay and just i want to jump into the participants you mentioned um the the cast you mentioned some of the things that they the the they go through sometimes with the cameras in front of them um, I want to talk just briefly on duty of care to the participants. How does that work? What, what's on offer to them? And, yeah, how, how do you look after the cast? I would say duty of care is my biggest passion. Um, I feel that I have sort of, if you boil down my, ro- my role to kind of two parts, it would be make the best show possible and, and make sure everyone's looked after. And that includes you know, my production team, as well as the cast. And um, we would also, ha- we would always have site care available. Um, we have chats pre and post a series to check in with, with each cast member. Um, they're compulsory. And then any time that they require a site chat that is offered, or even sometimes when they don't even realise they need it, and you think, well, do you know what? If you chat to someone objective away from the show, then it might give you clarity or peace of mind. And so I'm always very keen to, to offer that. And then just checking in with everyone, including my team, sending text me- messages, are you okay? Are you okay after ba- you know that segment of filming? Because I know it was a tough day for you, and and sometimes it's just sending a message to to kind of 
to know that someone's doing all right. And sometimes, actually, it's the quietest people, the people that make the least amount of noise that you need to check in the most with. Sure. And also, my company have been fantastic. When I first joined, like literally my first week, I was put on a mental health training first aid course. Oh, wow. Which is amazing. And it was mm. two days and it was really full on two days. And that was with a view to making sure your own mental health was OK or that was with a view to you being able to spot signs in the cast members that you're looking after, I suppose. It was sort of offered to all senior members of, uh, of of the production team because you are either overseeing the cast or you're overseeing lots of people. And it's it was just, it's something that the, my company offers to other productions as well. But it's just very much, we're just more and more mindful of, of the importance of mental health and self-care, um, you know, in the workplace. Okay. Let's say, Naz, and I, I know nothing about how TV works, but let's say you are given a sh- you're inheriting a show as executive producer, and let's just, for the sake of argument, say it's dying on its arse a bit. Is there ever an op- a, a position where you're given a show and you're told, we need you to shake this up, we need you to be creative? How much of that comes into your role and how much of that comes into a channel briefing and production business? I'd say it's it was it would be a conversation between the channel and the production team or you know the production company and it's particularly if the if a show is particularly long running or you know it might need fresh blood or fresh ideas to think about something in a different way um it's not that it, they've done done things wrong before it's just that actually everything evolves things evolve audience appetites evolve yeah. uh, and it's just it's learning and bringing all the experience from various shows that you've worked on. Like, I mean, I've even done a dog modelling show like way back in the day, which, I mean, nothing could prepare me for that. But then, yeah, if, it, <laughs> if I need to you know, set up an underwater shoot for a dog, I'd know how to do that straight away. <laughs> There's loads of random stuff. Um, but I'd say I think it's just thinking on your feet, working with the, um, the channel and, and actually surprising them as well. How big's the team that makes Made in Chelsea? Oh, gosh, now you're putting me on the spot. Roughly. Um, I'd say there's sort of 30 core of okay. us. And how much of it is your job and indeed their job to be students of the game? So are they expected to watch other TV shows that appeal to this audience? Are they expected to... Because there's no original ideas. Are they expected to be influenced by other TV shows, other things they've seen on social media? How much of that is their brief? I'd say if you're working in television, you, you're you always tasked with trying to come up with new ways and new ways of thinking and new ways of presenting something to a viewer. And so you're probably going to go to the latest photography exhibition or, you know, museum, museum exhibit just to just generally get ideas about everything. And, and you know, it can help your your work and, and, and inspiration. So you would say that immersing yourself in popular culture is... That that's part of your role in order for you to do your job as well as you do. Definitely. And I think that's just something that I'd be passionate about anyway. That would be something I'd be interested in. Um, and, and I know lots of lots of my colleagues are the same. You know, they will know about the latest gigs and they'd, you know, they'd know about what's a really good movie or what's, you know, what's the 
the next best thing on Netflix that everyone wants to get into. And it, it wouldn't be a purposeful, we must do this as part of our homework to be better producers. It's just that actually when you live and breathe a, a genre or, a, you know, like an art form, then, you know, you, you're, you're going to tap into loads of different aspects of it. In my world now, it's easy, right? Because at the end of a campaign, at the end of a thing you've done for a brand, you've got metrics for success. You've got number of people that have seen the ad that you've made or the piece of content that you've made. You've then actually got even more hard-nosed metrics of the number of products sold. How is success judged in your world and have you ever made the greatest TV show possible, but no one's watched it? And has that been a success or a failure? <laughs> yeah, I see. It. So there is a success in terms of sort of viewership. So, you, you know, you get these overnight reports and it's always really important. What, what, did, what did you get overnight in that, you know, in that single viewing at the correct time slot? Um, so some people count that as the most important factor. And then obviously with the, all the ways that we can watch TV on demand, on, on our phones and everything else, then there's another report that comes out about a month later, which is the consolidated report. And um, then that sort of draws together all of all of the viewing platforms, including your phone. And then, then some people find that as the most important thing. But I think at the end of the, at the, end of the day, it should be the most important thing for you as a producer. So whether... You feel that that particular episode has spoken to lots of people um, and you feel that you've done the best at telling that story, then that for me is a better marker of of success than necessarily viewing figures. And like you say, you can make the most beautiful thing and it might not be seen by loads of people. Yeah. Um, Don't worry, I've had campaigns like yeah. that too. So, yeah, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's not exclusive yeah. to uh, to any walk of life, I think. Um, just one final thing t- touching on TV more broadly because you've worked in this space for a long time, you're executive producer of a huge show It's where's TV going? What's going to happen next for TV to engage mass audiences? And are we ever going to see a TV show that, I'm going to be facetious to make a point, EastEnders on Christmas Day with 18 million viewers, do you know what Mm. I mean? Outside of live sporting events do you think there's going to be a TV show that that brings an entire nation together? Or do you think we can only look for more subsections of, of demographics and audiences? Well, Gavin and Stacey did really well at Christmas Just Gone. I think it was, you might need to correct me later, but either 13 million or 11 million people yeah. watched the show. I actually think you're right on both counts. I think it was 11 million on the day and then consolidated. Oh. Was that, so there you go. Yeah, two gold stars. There so, you yeah. go. Um, so that, I mean, that felt like back in the day of, you know, only fools and horses territory where you'd, mm. the whole family would watch and the viewing figures were incredible. Um, I think with television, it's, it's very interesting. I think everything is in line with social media. So, for example, I believe that our attention span is now like 40 seconds, whereas way back in the day, before all of the social media and everything else, it was like three minutes. So that's kind of frightening. And I know that when people watch television now, they're not just eyeballing the television. They also have an eye and scrolling through Instagram, doing other things. So I think that also influences how we produce content because you're thinking, well, I've got to make this this storyline or this this piece of uh, this shoot. I've got to make it really, really clear because if someone misses it because they're scrolling on their phone, then, you know, we've lost we've lost people. Yeah. And that's not 
just for Made in Chelsea. I think that's for you know other other shows as well. So I think that that will be interesting to see how how that develops as we get more and more ingrained with social media. But I think lots of young people are also making a step away from social media. They're doing, you know, you know, what do you call it? Like some... A digital detox. That's it. Yeah. Um, and, and more and more young people are doing digital detox retreats where they're literally going away, locking their phones in a box and going camping or, you know, doing more mindfulness practices, which will, you know, helps you know, elongate that sense of um, attention span and it also gives you a better sense of quiet and everything else. So I think it'd be really interesting. I, I think it's all in the power of young people, actually, how we go. And So in the genetic makeup of this 16 to 34-year-old that's watching Made in Chelsea, what job do you think Made in Chelsea is doing for that individual? Do you think it's bubblegum to help them switch off from a rainy day? Do you think it's... So, do you think it's bigger than that? Do you do you see what I mean? Yes. What what job is it doing in their in their cultural makeup? I think it's doing a few jobs. So I think um, yes, you want sort of you know not bubblegum for the brain, but you want that kind of I, you know I've had a tough day at work. It's been really stressful. I'm going through some stuff. I just want to switch off and I just want to enjoy something. And so that's why you know having comic elements within the show is really important. So I'm always trying to you know, get natural comedy and, and, and see the funny side of things as well as the emotional pull of, of, of drama. Um, so there's that side. Um, and then also it's what issues are important to people and, and how those can affect. So like I, I mentioned before, you know, car, uh, cast members opening up about depression, alopecia, grief, that's so important as well because they're able to talk to a viewer in a way that they wouldn't necessarily have ever realised they could. Naz, let me patronise you for a second. If I were to say Rethian values, you'd know exactly what I meant, right? So, yeah? No. Okay, so Lord Reith (laughs) was the first Director General of the BBC. Right. And Lord Reith said that the, the goal of the BBC is to educate inform and entertain almost in that order so is there almost a rethian part of shows like make because by the sounds of it you've just made the point that yeah you want them to laugh but also the serious elements about their characters you want to educate as well Absolutely. So, yeah. And that's a new one on me, Rethian, because I'm going to say that at dinner parties and sound very bright. There we go. <laughs> but that's great, though, because, yeah. To, and and I also think that that's a, a really important thing to have. Part of what you're trying to do is the education aspect. So that's that's huge. I want to focus on one more question mm-hmm. just while we're talking about work. Actually, it's kind of a two parter. How long can you produce a show like Made in Chelsea? In 20 years' time, when, you know, you'll be just out of the target demographic, compliment there. Yeah. <laughs> How can older people create TV shows for younger audiences? I think they can, but I think it's important, even like, I'm, I'm 38, I think it's important that... Well, I, I wasn't going to say that. I've just said have. that. Fine. Um... I think it's important that I know I don't know everything. I, I try and keep as youthful as possible by sort of, you know, going to things that, you know, I know the audience would go to or, you know, talking to younger members of the production teams to get their take on, on matters as well. Um, but I think there's a the level of um, 
expertise and also knowledge that you bring as an older person to things. But also I think you just you have to have that willingness and openness to connect with younger people directly. You can't go in with an assumption. You need to learn from them. And that's both the cast members and the team that you've got around you. Absolutely, yeah. Got you. Okay. And then final question, which is more focused on you. What do you want to make next? What's the ambition? Is it something new? Is it refreshing an existing format? I mean, I'm loving Made in Chelsea right now. And I think that, you know, for me feels like my new home, but a home that I'm very comfortable in. So I think I just want to keep evolving the show like it's in its ninth year. And to be still on television at this stage mm. is, is, is huge, especially in this day and age where there's so many new shows, new formats. And also you've, you've got Amazon and Netflix vying with content as well. So um, for me, there's a real excitement in keeping the show evolving. Let me ask one more question on commercially minded. There will be no doubt that through paid for partnerships or through PR partnerships, there have been a load of products where you've been asked to feature them or where the channel has been asked to feature them. How much of that frustrates you? How much of that do you see as a necessary evil? I think that's just the way, you know, channels are staying afloat now. You know, this, like I said, there's so much competition and you've got to be commercially viable as a show and also as a channel, as a broadcaster. So in that respect, I think, I think it's, it's, you know, it's a sign of the times and we have to sort of make our peace with it and get on with it and do the best we can. Um, I, you know, whenever I'm on a show and there is product placement, I don't like it to be too intrusive. Uh, I think... The viewers are so savvy that you cannot be insulting to them about how you, you know, how you place that product. And I think it's important to always bear that in mind. People don't want to be hit over the head with commercialism. I'm still here with Nazlene Karim. And the reason we are here is to get to know you, to talk a bit about your work, but also to get your rocket fuel. And that's the name that we have for the kind of practical advice, the actionable insights that we can get from the benefit of your experience about engaging youth audiences in a more effective way. Right. So, it sounds very grand, but Mm. go on, Naz, give us one thing that you know about youth audiences. I know that youth audiences really appreciate authenticity. I think that is a big thing for them. Um, They don't like any level of artifice or lying or anything like that. I think you need to be very direct with them, not patronise them. And um, honesty is the best thing, I think, in, in engaging someone. In the marketing world, we hear a lot about brand purpose. So you're more likely to buy from a brand if you believe in the same things that they believe in. In the world of TV, what do you think is important to youth audiences? Well, I think I've, we touched on it before. It's mm. it's um, they need to be able to switch off from the hardships of whatever they've been going through during the day and be entertained. That's the big thing. And the other thing is they need to be engaged as well. So if there's something that actually you know pushes them in terms of the way that they're thinking or provokes a reaction, I think that's really important for them to then be able to share that with people at work or at school or at college or wherever or or on their social media platforms. Okay, so you've been making TV programmes for about 15 years now, right? 
What do you think has changed in the time that you've been making TV for youth audiences? And what do you think will change next? The biggest thing to have changed is the um, accessibility of content. Now there's you know, so many more channels. There are so many more outlets that you can, you know, you can now stream, you can, you know, there are so many ways that you can view content. And so there's always something vying for your attention in so many realms. So whether that's on your phone, on your on your computer, on your television. So I think in that respect, you have to be very engaging to, to kind of even you know, get your, your foot in the door, to, you know, for someone to engage in, in whatever content you're producing. And also you need to, you know, really make sure that you've grabbed someone's attention and you're, you're trying to keep it as well. So, Naz, who gets it right? Where where are you as someone that's looking to engage youth audiences? What are you looking knowingly at and thinking they've got it going on? You've got to be really receptive to all different platforms of content because that's people are being really creative right now and it's a really exciting time to make any form of of, of content and particularly television because I think you can learn from so many other brothers and sisters and on different platforms and not just television. Okay and final question what's the one takeaway for everybody listening what's the one thing that our audience of people that work in media marketing bit of technology that want to engage youth audiences of everything we've spoken about what's the one takeaway you want them to come away from uh, from our chat with um i would say listen listen to what young people are saying because um you know they, they are being very open and honest about what they want and what they want to see and i would say listen to that and, and be honest back and 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 make sure that you're providing what young people what young people need right now there's lots of sort of bleak news going on particularly for a young person and they don't necessarily feel listened to in terms of their political status and everything else. So I think we need to listen to them every way that we can to engage them because they are, you know, they are our audience. Naz, it's been really, really good talking to you. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, Remind me of the name of the uh, production company that you work for currently. Monkey Kingdom. So it's Monkey Kingdom. And if anybody wants to find out more about them, they can go to the Monkey Kingdom website. If anybody wants to find out more about you or get in touch with you, are you on social media? Are you findable? Do you want to be tracked down? I've got it. I've got it. An Instagram Fine. that doesn't reveal much about my life. It's more my street photography, very embarrassingly, but I'm very passionate about it. So, so yes. Oh, great. Okay. Well, we'll get people to check that out. Thank you. Naz, thank you so much for doing Rocket Fuel. Thank you so much. So, I think you'll agree that my chat with Naz was quite revelatory, actually. I thought the stuff around mental health, care of duty for the uh, cast members of Made in Chelsea and other shows was quite informative. I also thought her points about looking beyond TV for the inspiration in terms of where young audiences' TV is going as, yeah, really, really, really thoughtful. Um, If you've enjoyed this podcast, do me a favour. Will you send it to somebody that you think might also enjoy it? Maybe give us a five-star rating or review on uh, Apple Podcasts or wherever you download this podcast. And, perhaps most importantly, subscribe and tune in to next week's Rocket Fuel. This is a Rocket Audio production.